We're in the midst of a three-week series called Christianity 101. We're actually at the end of a three-week series because this would be the third week. And basically what this series is, uh, is a brief flyby of the basics of Christianity. It's very basic information on some stuff that's really important and relevant to the lives of Christians. For example, Jesus. Kind of important about Christianity. And so the first week we talked about Jesus and we did a flyby over of Jesus. And I've said last week that you could do, you could talk forever about the different attributes of Jesus and what he has to teach us. The human side, the God side. And then last week we talked about the Bible and we did a very brief snippet of the Bible. And, and really we talked more about a personal use of the Bible and, and how it involves uh, your life. And there was always, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was growing up in class, when I was a, a kid, there was always that one kid in class that ruined everything for everyone uh, because they would always remember, oh, but Mr. So-and-so, you forgot we were supposed to have a spelling test today, right before recess was about to start, you know, that kid, remember that kid? Well, we have that kid sitting in the second row and I gave you some homework uh, last week and I forgot about it. Uh, and I was going to let you slide. How many of you brought your Bibles with you this week? That was your homework. For those of you that were here, uh, there you go, Sarah. Hold that Bible up. Be proud of it. There you go. Okay. There you go. And, you know, the kid that asked that question goes, I forgot my homework. I was like, what homework? <laughs> so, And she's a teacher, too. She almost slid by on it. That's very nice. But today we talk about, I encourage you to bring your Bible. Bring your Bible with you. Hold it with you. You can read it. You can hear it. But when you're doing it all together, it means more. I mean, they say with teachers, when you, uh, you can teach them something, tell them how to do it, you show them how to do it, then you let them do it. And it's that third time that things really take root and really take hold in your mind and in who you are. Same thing with the Bible. When you have it with you and make it a part of your life, that's when it becomes a part of your life. So we go today to the church and we talk about the church. Now, that could be a very long conversation that we could start arguing things about. We could get mad at each other. We could put this side against that side. And I'm sure everybody has their own image of the church, what the church is, what the church should be doing, the definition of the church. It's one of those things that, you know, causes wars. One of those things throughout its creation has divided people bitterly and brought people together under a banner. So I asked you all, all throughout this series to send me emails, questions about what you, you know, what you want to know about Jesus, the Bible, or the church. And a few of the ones that I got that I, uh, for this, I was flooded with tens of emails. Um, and a few of the ones that, yeah, wait for it, a few of the ones that I wanted to address are, somebody asked me, um, does it matter what you wear to church? I'm not planning this question so that I could wear shorts today. This was an honest question. Somebody asked me, does it matter what you wear to church? And I went, awesome, I'm so wearing shorts next week. No, it doesn't. The question actually was, where does it say in the Bible what you should wear to church? Now, in 1 Timothy, it talks about what you shouldn't wear. If you remember, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's talking about some of the ladies in the church. And some of the ladies are wearing stuff they shouldn't be wearing. They're wearing all this makeup and all this jewelry, and they're looking so great and hot and wonderful. And, and Paul's like, ooh, wait a minute. You're more concerned with how you look than what you're doing for God. 
See, here's the problem when it comes to dressing for church. When you become more concerned with how you look and what you're wearing, then you are concerned with what you're hearing from God and what you're doing for God and what is going on in your life with God. Then it becomes a problem. Paul's words are something like, uh, make yourself attractive by the good things you do, not by what you wear. So, yeah, I wear shorts from time to time when I preach. My shirt tail is not tucked in. You'll notice that my shirt is crisply ironed, though. It's a Brooks Brothers non-iron. You never have to iron it. They're awesome. You can get them at the outlet mall in San Marcos. This sermon brought to you by Brooks Brothers. Um, But quite honestly... I got looks as I walked around the building this morning. People looking at what I was wearing. Doesn't matter what you wear to church. Within reason, one of the band members this morning, we were talking about this. First thing in the morning said, well, what if somebody wears a thong and a bow tie? Okay, now we have a problem. If you take it to the extreme and if you're so distracting to someone as to pull them away from God or what God is doing in their lives, then an issue arises. So, close. Uh, What does God want from the church? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. How do you justify the nice cars in the church parking lot with all the poor people in our city? Kind of a deep, burning question. I wrote back, you're obviously not talking about my car. (laughs) I have a wonderful car. My car is Darth Vader is what I call my car. Um, It's a big black truck. So, uh, yeah. Here's the deal with that. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you can't make money. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you can't have stuff. Again, with the clothes, it comes into question when your life's focus is about the money and the stuff and not God that the problem arises. You'll, you might remember the, uh, the rich man, when he comes, the rich young man, when he comes to God and he says, God, what must I do? Jesus, what must I do to follow you? He says, give away everything you have and follow me. And he's like, whoa, never mind. Because he put his money in his possessions to more importance than he did himself, than he did Jesus Christ and his life with God. So there's that. Uh, then another question was about Calvinism and Arminianism. And I will say the guy that wrote this, who gave me a hard time about it, um, isn't even here today. Uh, he wasn't at 930 and he's not here now. So uh, we'll have to write him back and say, I answered the question and now you'll have to go on suffering. Basically what he was asking, he was asking a question about predestination. He said, what does the church believe about predestination? Predestination, for those of you that don't know, is the belief that God has chosen already who is in and who is out. Uh, He has voted people off the island already. Uh, You're saved or you're not. God already has decided for you. Um, The difference in the two beliefs is that one says that God's already decided for you. The other is that you have your option. That God's done everything. You just got to choose. Our church believes in this side. God's done everything. Now it's up to you. It's up to you whether you believe or not. So there's that real briefly. And that, of course, is a much deeper question that causes arguments uh, between denominations and probably family members and all that stuff. So there's the questions that I, that I got. Now, I don't want to go back and go through the history of the Methodist church or anything like that because uh, it bores me probably more than it would bore you. I want to talk about what the church is. You know, what is the church? If you open your Bibles, those of you that get a gold star for the day and brought them, open it up to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's talking about the church here. He's talking about the universal church because there's different degrees of churchness, if you will. 
There's like the universal church where it's all believers. All believers in Jesus Christ make up the church. And then there's your local church. We're part of it right here. And then, you know, there's different degrees inside the local church and, you know, big celebrations and then worship and then small groups and things like that. But Paul right here is most specifically talking about the universal church across the board. What does it mean to be a church? He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. A church is a group of people that have been called by God to serve him. A church is a group of people that have been called by God to join together to bring glory to his name. Plain and simple. And that's what he's pointing out right there. You've been called by God to be the church. Now you need to live your life in a way. A certain way. And he goes into it. Verse 2. Starting at verse 2. He says, basically, you need to to live your life in a way that brings glory to God by being called together in unity. Here are his words. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. We are all one body. We have the same spirit, and we have been called to the same glorious future. There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there is only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. The first part of being a church is being together. Being together under one God. Being united under one God, one Father. Acknowledging the one baptism, the one death, the one resurrection. Man, we have a hard time doing that. We have a hard time doing that, don't we? I mean, for the life of the church, there have been bitter arguments, bloodshed over being together. One God, one death, one resurrection. What are the first words he starts out with there? Be humble. And gentle. When you're together under one God, you're, you're being humble and gentle. You're at peace, he says, with one another. Man, that's hard for us to do, apparently. We all, I mean, the, the conversations between denominations can get ugly at times. And yet we're under one God. One Christ. St. Augustine said, there's essentials and there's non-essentials. The essentials, the things that matter the most that you cannot waver on. Jesus Christ lived here on earth. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He rose again from the dead so that we might have eternal life. Essential. Women preaching, teaching in church, non-essential. But how many times have we gone to bat, stepped up to plate and said, oh yeah, Women should be in preaching positions. And then somebody from the Baptist, Southern Baptist realm. No, they should not. It says so in the Bible. Oh, yeah, well, it says so in the Bible that they should. And we go back and forth. And we argue with one another. And we get bogged down in silly little things. When in reality, we believe the same. I don't know if you know this, but this might not come as a surprise to you. I've been kicked out of a church. That's right. I've been asked to leave a church. 
Well, actually, it was one of those things where, you know, you're being fired and you say, you can't fire me because I quit. I actually kind of walked away before he said the words, but I knew where it was going. Let me explain. When we were in seminary, and I say we were in seminary because it's a hard process and, you know, Jenna has to deal with it too. Up in Fort Worth, we were church shopping, as people often do when they move to a new town. You want to find a church that's right for you. You want to find a church where you feel like God's moving, where you feel like you can really worship and get involved and connected. And and so we were working the rounds and, you know, going around to some churches in our neighborhood and and different stuff. We weren't tied down to the Methodist thing because, you know, I'll get into that later. But we decided to go to this church that a lot of people were going to. Big church in town. A lot of kids from TCU are going there. They have a great college program there. And so we were going there. And we wanted to be involved with the college program. We liked the worship. It was good worship. We liked the preaching. It was good preaching. So we felt like we found our fit. So we got involved and started leading a, a college Bible study. Myself and another guy led a guy's deal, and uh, his wife and and Jenna led a girl's deal. We met in the same house in different rooms, and we went through this study together, and it was great. We were moving, and we were, you know, feeling like we were working for God and, and being united as the church. So I get this call from the college pastor, and he's like, you know, I want you to have coffee with so and so. He wants to meet you, you know, and, you know, sit down and just have coffee and talk with him stuff. I said, all right, you know, I'm not opposed to having coffee with somebody or meeting someone. So I, I met him on campus at TCU, and we had coffee. And we sit down, and he starts asking me all these questions, just all these questions. And very shortly after we sat down, I got the feeling I was being interrogated. This wasn't a casual, I need a new friend, I'd like to meet you. You're involved in our ministry, I'd like to get to know you. It was, I'm trying to find out what you believe and what you don't. But he didn't say that. He just asked me all these questions. And I just knew that's what it was. And I started getting irritated with it. I I don't like it when people have an agenda and they don't let you know what the agenda is. That kind of... If you're going somewhere, let me know where you're going. If I don't like it, I'm still cool with it because you told me. So he's doing all this stuff. And I leave that going, I just know that's what it was. Sure enough, the next day I get a call from the pastor. He's like, Michael, how are you doing? Good. What are you doing? Oh, I don't know. I'm working on a paper or something. Okay. Yeah, I want to talk to you about some of the stuff you said to so-and-so yesterday. And I went, I was right. It was an interrogation. And it made me so mad. It made me so frustrated. He was asking me all these questions. They knew I was a Methodist in seminary. And they wanted to pump me for information to make sure I was teaching their college kids what they felt like their college kids should be teaching. Now, that's a very valid point. We want to know what our Sunday school classes are teaching our people. If you're a class that's teaching Jesus isn't the, is one of many ways to get to heaven, we need to know that and stop it because we don't believe that here. Jesus is the only way. But it was some non-essential stuff that he was asking me questions about. And he started talking to me, and he wanted me to meet with this group of elders. Again, have coffee with this group of elders. He wanted me to sit down and be grilled by this group of elders to make sure I was teaching what I was supposed to be teaching. Here's the thing. I'll tell you what it was. It was about predestination. 
And I didn't agree with the church's teaching on predestination. However, not once had it ever come up in our group. And I told him, I said, you know what? If it ever did come up in our group, I would teach them what the church teaches. If they ask me my opinion, I will tell them that. The thing that made me so mad about it, because I understood kind of where he was coming from, is he didn't come right out and tell me, Michael, I have a question about predestination with you. Can I meet with you and talk with you about it? He sent some guy to backwards do it. And I told him, I said, you know, because he had just graduated from seminary and I was just about to. It's like, we're peers. Come to me and talk to me about this. Don't you believe in Jesus Christ? Yeah, me too. For me, all of the other stuff is a load. It's about knowing Jesus Christ, living with Jesus Christ, having a personal relationship with him, knowing that he died for you and rose again for you. That's the most important thing. All the other stuff gets in the way. We get turned off. And I finally told him, I said, you know what? This is a great time for me and Jenna to find a new church. So I can't believe you handled it this way. And I hope I never have ministry like this. And I hung up on him. Of course, I was not the most Christian thing to do. Jenna's giving me a glare right now. You shouldn't have done that. It's like six years ago, but I still remember his name. And I remember the car that he drove. And every time we see one, we point it out to each other. It's about being united under one God, under one death and one resurrection of having one baptism. But that's so hard for us at times. It's so hard for us to be united. We're all going to the same place. We're all trying to search and find Jesus Christ. And yet we fight amongst ourselves. We do it here in the church as well. I don't know if you know this, but there are people down the hall that don't necessarily appreciate what we do in this room. That get upset with some of the things we do. I get glares when I walk around campus like this on a Sunday morning. It's about Jesus. We do it back to them. There's an incredible organ in there. Ten people in the world maybe could play it the way it needs to be played. Amazing organ in there. Who listens to organ music anymore? Do you actually have a personal knowledge of Jesus Christ or are you all just going through the motions down there? It's back and forth, back and forth. God works in everyone differently. God moves in everybody's heart differently. For some people, they would come in here and not feel God moving at all. But God moves in this room. For some of us, we go down there and we fall asleep. But for some people, God is truly touching and moving and shaping their lives. It's being united You're doing your thing, we're doing our thing, but we are focused on the cross. That's what Paul's pointing out. And yet we get so argumentative amongst each other. And we focus on the silly things when we should be united as a church. It doesn't matter if you're Episcopalian, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, if you worship in the sanctuary, if you worship in a contemporary service, wherever you worship, if you're worshiping Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that should be it. If you're focused on that, moving towards that, 
Be united, Paul cries out. And he goes on, he says, you have to be, you have to come together in unity. And then you have to come together to serve. Verse 7, however, he has given each of, each one of us a special gift according to the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says, it says he ascended. This means that Christ first came down to the lowly world in which we live. The same one who came down is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that his rule might fill the entire universe. He is the one, verse 11, who gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Let me stop there. When we are united as one under Christ, that doesn't mean we're not separate. God has given each of us gifts, and he's given each of us different gifts. Different, wonderful, amazing gifts. He's called some of us to be some things and some of us to be others. But he's saying right here, it takes all of us. It takes all of us. He's called the pastors and the prophets and the apostles and the evangelists and the teachers to equip the people of God to do his work. Here's my job. My job is to equip you to do the work of God. My job is to equip you, it says, to do God's work. And then he says, and build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. See, my job isn't to, to go around door to door in the neighborhoods and the community around this area, knock on the door and go, hi, my name is Michael Crocker. I'm a pastor. Do you know Jesus Christ? No, then you need to come to church on Sunday and I'll introduce you. My job is not to ensure that every person around this community is saved. My job is not to ensure that all of you are saved. That's the church's job. My job is to lead you in a way that you are caught on fire by the Holy Spirit and that you go out. And as Christ says, baptize the nations. If you think it's just the pastor's job to save the world, there's no way we could do it. It is the church's job to save the world. It is for each one of us. Me as a Christian, my job is to go into the world and save it. Yes, but me as a pastor, I am to give you the wisdom and the, I'm to lead you and to teach you and to get you into a place where you are ready to go into the world and serve. Here's the thing about it. I don't have enough gifts to do it on my own. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. I can't do it. I've been given a few gifts. I've been given the gift of preaching. I think you may disagree, but too bad. I've been given the gift of teaching. I have not been given the gift of empathy. They call it mercy gifts. I got a little of it, but not much. I've said this before, and another pastor was in here, and she said, you shouldn't tell that because people will be scared to come to you. Come to me if you have a problem. I'm okay handling it and listening to you and talking with you and, and guiding you and your walk with Christ. 
But here's the thing. When I go into hospitals for visitations, it weirds me out. It takes everything I have, and I walk out of there exhausted. I'm a germ freak for one, so walking into a hospital, not my favorite place to be. Walking into a room where somebody's really sick, second not favorite place to be. But we have a pastor on staff here who's amazing at it. She loves to do it, Dinah. She loves to do it. She loves to sit and listen. I have ADHD. I can't sit and listen for that long without wondering what's going on in the next room. What was that noise I just heard? Code blue, what does that mean? I want to go see what's going on. I'm sorry, what were you saying? We had t-shirts in here printed a few years ago. And on the back, it says New Heights on the front. On the back, it says there's no such thing as a grit. You might have seen those shirts. You might have one. And it has a verse from Corinthians that talks about the body of Christ. And almost every time I wear it, I get a comment about it. What do you mean there's no such thing as a grit? And then I'll have to go through the whole story, which is the purpose of the shirt. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and ordered a grit? Hi, ma'am. I'd like some uh, pancakes, some bacon and eggs, and a grit. Just one. One little bitty tiny weeny little grit. Place it right there on my plate. That's all I want. Have a light appetite today. No. You go in and you order grits. Plural. It takes all of them together to form the meal. That's the body of Christ. It doesn't take me to be the body of Christ. It takes us all put together to form the grits. It takes us all together to form the body of Christ. If it were left to Daryl and myself, this Sunday morning service would be nuts. We meet every week to talk about what we do in here. And we forecast out. And Daryl and I have this tendency to come up with ideas that are impossible. For the back-to-school luau, I wanted to build a volcano right over here. Right here. A volcano. If Peter Brady could do it, by golly, so could we. A volcano that would be huge. And Daryl's like, yeah, we can get some dry ice and put it on a thing in the back and it'll smoke the entire time. And we got all these ideas. Krista Sabato, our facilities manager, is going, no. <laughs> but we have all these crazy, wonderful, insane ideas. Thankfully, we have Stacy in there, who's a little more realistic in her gifts. A little more administratively minded and goes, we have a week until the back to school luau. There's no way we can do that. There's no place to put it. What do we do after it? And she keeps us on track. It takes the creativity of Daryl and myself and it takes Stacy to rein it in and to focus us and to drive us forward to what we're working towards. That's just a small example. It takes all of us together as we come together under Christ to move forward to serve him, to bring glory to him. There's no such thing as a grit, it says. He goes on in verse 14. Then, as we come together under Christ, under one God, as we begin to use our gifts together as a church, then we will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe, because someone has told us something different. Or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lie sound like the truth. Instead, instead we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. 
As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. See, that's what the church does. It comes together to change the world. It comes together to get each of us to move every day to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And as we do that, the world is going to be awesome. The world is going to change. Your community is going to change. You're not going to recognize it. You don't believe me? Look at my life. I'm just one small part of the world. But when I found Jesus and when I began to follow him, my life changed incredibly. You cannot look at how I live my life in college, and I've talked about it here before, as a lost person searching for whatever it is through drugs, through alcohol, through anything I could get my hands on. My life was in a tailspin crashing until I found God in Jesus Christ. There are so many people in our world, in our society, in this very room like that today, that need the church, that need us to come together under Christ, to use our gifts. Maybe you have a gift of just a servant where you just want to do something. We have a gentleman that sits on this side of the room that every day, every Sunday after church, he comes up here and he puts stuff up. Bet you don't know his name. Bet you've never even recognized him. Bet you've never even noticed him. But every Sunday, he is here putting stuff up. It takes all of us together to do something. It takes all of us together to be the church, to be the body of Christ. All of us. So the question I'll ask you is, where are you, where are you serving? Where are you being the body of Christ for someone? It takes all of us together to be the body, to be the church. You know, in, outside of Ephesus, there's this enormous temple to the god Athena. And there is this tremendously, there's one column that still stands. And it is huge. You stand next to that column and you look like a little midget. It's enormous. The size of this temple must have been mind-blowing. And they called it the tree of life. There's a reason for that. Because everything that you needed in this world and life, you could get at this temple. If you needed health and healing powers, you go to the temple. If you need food, you go to the temple. Clothes, you go to the temple. You need protection, you go to the temple. If you need to store your money, you go to the temple. Everything revolved around this temple. It was the tree of life. Christ came to knock those suckers down. To destroy them. And to show you the true temple, to show you the true tree of life. He is the tree of life. And we are the tree of life. We are his body, the church. We should be the ones that if you are in need, you come to. If you need food, you come here. If you need clothing, you come here. If you need protection, you come here. If you need assistance of any kind, you come here. Because that's what we do. That's who we are. We might not help you right away, but we will help you. We will find the help. We will be with you as you go through this struggle. And I'm not saying we, the staff members of the church. I'm saying the church. Every one of us that is a believer in Jesus Christ, that has come together under one God, one baptism, one death and resurrection. We are the church. We should be reaching out to our society, to our world and saying, How can I help you? You are down right now. Let me lift you up. 
Here's the funny thing about that. Even here, it's not always easy. It doesn't always happen. My wife, a few months ago, was having a bad day, a bad morning. And we are going through all this stuff with grace, and everything's mounting up and piling up and building up. And we're in the midst of hearing all this bad news. And she comes to church, and somebody says, Good morning, how are you doing? She just broke down crying. And then she stopped herself and said, Oh, I got to get it together. I'm at church. And later she thought about that. And we've talked about this many times since. She said, If there's one place that I should be able to let it all go and to tell people that my life is a wreck right now, is in this room, is in this church, is right here. If you cannot come here and be yourself, then we are failing as a church. Do you ever come here on a Sunday morning and things are going bad for you, but you make sure you look the right way, you're dressed the appropriate way, you act a certain way, you're a different person on Sunday morning than you are the rest of the week? Why? I want to know what's going on in your life, and I want to help if I can. I want to be there for you. That's what we should be doing. You should be able to wake up in the morning... And not dread coming to church because you have to put on a happy face. You should be able to wake up in the morning and say, I am so glad I get to go to church today because there are people there that will support me. If anything, they'll just listen or put their arm around me. How many of you, when Sunday rolls around, are pumped and excited about church? Saturday night, you're like, I can't sleep because it's church in the morning. How many of you are like that? How come? How many of you wake up Sunday morning like, all right, it's uh, 1030. I guess I can get ready and go to church. How many of you come to check it off and then move on throughout your week? You know, most of the time on Saturday nights, I'm excited. Most of the time. Last night, I wasn't very excited. We were uh, at my in-laws river house in Seguin and, we were having a great time and we'd been there since Friday and just chilling out and we had dinner with some friends and 9.30 rolls around and I'm like, oh man, I got to preach in the morning. We got to drive home. We got to pack up. We, have a, we had our lab there. We had our baby there. And when you take a baby anywhere, it's like packing the fifth army, you know, you have everything, you got everything in there. And then we have a small SUV and trying to cram the kennel and a stroller and bags and all this stuff in there. It's like playing Tetris with your car. And he, he, I'm like, oh, I don't want to do all that. Why isn't Mark Williams preaching? He's new on staff. This is a holiday weekend. That's what they're here for. <laughs> He'll be preaching New Year's Eve, by the way. I guess you're and so I was a little bitter about it last night. But I woke up this morning excited. I do every Sunday morning. I get pumped. I get here and I hear the team rehearsing and I get excited. It's not because I have like 30 cups of coffee on Sunday mornings. I do, but that's a problem I have with my doctor. It's something that I get here and I'm just like, yes. I can't wait to get up on stage and to unleash what God's going to do today. I can't wait to stop singing on the front row and listen to the choir of angels singing behind me. You're not all good, but together you're great. No offense to those of you on that area. I love doing that. I did that a few times this morning. You can tell when you're really on by looking at the faces of the worship team because they have a different persona. 
I love it. I love to see the body coming together and worshiping God. I love to get comments afterwards. They're not always good comments. People come up from time to time and tell me I'm wrong. I'm okay with that. I'm wrong a lot. People come up to me from time to time and tell me whatever. And sometimes on Sunday mornings, quite honestly, I'll apologize right now. I'm brain dead after I preach two sermons. I'm done. And you come up to me and you're telling me this wonderfully horrific story. And I'm like, great. Um, Oh, wow. I'm sorry. (laughs) I love it though. I love the interaction. I love seeing people. I, I love seeing, there's some people, I know all y'all don't listen to me the whole time. Some of you even nod off. There's a guy, he's not here today, but he sits over on this side of the room that all the time he closes his eyes and does this. He's not sleeping, he's listening. Uh, I've tested him on it many times. But it's weird looking out there and seeing somebody with their head down and their eyes shut. It's okay, I love it. I love church, it invigorates me, it makes me feel alive. Are you the same way? When we become one, when we become the body of Christ, when we believe in that one death, one resurrection, one Jesus Christ that we are moving towards, when you're using your gift, key, when you're using your gift and being involved in the body of Christ, you'll be amazed at what happens on Sunday mornings. You will skip into church. Good morning, everyone. I have arrived. Let the worship begin. Even if you're having the worst week of your life, you'll be excited to come because you know this is a place where you can let it go. A place where you can find somebody to sit with you in the back corner and pray. Where you can come up after the service and pray with our prayer team members. That's what church is all about. We are the church. We are the church. That's what it is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, who lived his life on this lowly earth, as Paul calls it, who died for us and conquered death for us. So that as we give our lives to him, as we accept that gift of salvation, we might have eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us To know this place. To know this place as the church. To know this place as a place of protection and comfort and guidance and direction. Lord, I pray that you would just help all of us to become part of the body. To unite under you and to begin to use our gifts, whatever they might be, for you. That we might truly become the church, not only in this building and these walls, but in our community and in this world. And as we begin to do that, Lord, help us to just open our eyes that we might see the changes that we are bringing, that you are bringing through us. We thank you and praise you, Father, and ask that you would strengthen us and embolden us as we enter into our lives, that we might live our life as part of your body, not our own. In Jesus' name, amen.